What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On today's podcast, we have Kevin Woodley. Uh, Kevin is a writer on NHL.com. He's done some freelance with a bunch of different places over the years, and uh, currently is with Ingle Magazine. He does their pro reads on their podcast. Uh, absolutely amazing stuff. Kevin is a bit of a talker here, so I love it. It gets into a lot of detail and a lot of good goaltending stuff. Everyone needs it, whether you're a goalie or you're a player. Yeah, I mean, it's not even hyperbole to say this is one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded super uh, passionate guy. We got into a ton of different conversations, uh, different topics. Um, just a really interesting guy. There, it's almost lip service to say that we barely scratched the surface because I feel like we say that sometimes. But on this one, legit, we could have gone for like three more hours, no sweat. I have four questions left. And Same. I, I, like, unbelievable. So I'm not, I'm not even going to go any bit further. There's so much good stuff into this. You just have to listen to it. Without further ado, Kevin Woodley. On the podcast, we bring on Kevin Woodley. Welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, glad to have you on. Uh, we're big, big firm when it comes to goalies. Not that we do a very good job of covering it, but I feel like we need to connect more. Uh, as forwards, we need to be able to understand how to beat you guys. And then as uh, the goalies in the room, they understand how to play this position better because it's such a technical technical position. So curious on uh, how you found your way into goaltending and your background in it. Didn't find my way into goaltending until actually my mid thirties. Um, I'd already covered the NHL for probably four years, had played a little bit of hockey uh, through university, but didn't, it wasn't my sport growing up. I was a baseball guy, didn't play minor hockey as a kid. And I was asked by the Canucks goaltending coach at the time. And incidentally, their goaltending coach now back for a second stint, Ian Clark, if, if I could help him uh, both edit a magazine he was putting together um, but also provide, you know, editorial content for it. So obviously he had the teaching component uh, that he was that he was working on. So I was editing that and just learning an absolute ton. Like um, Ian's really good. It was one of the reasons he's had such a great career as a goalie coach. And it also is one of the reasons his his writing is so effective. And yet you, you really do have to commit to it. Like it's long, right? And so my job was to edit it down. But he doesn't just tell you to do something. He explains why. And so that really came through in his writing. Like you, if you took the time and committed to his technical breakdowns, um, you really developed an understanding of the why you're being asked to do that. Why angle over depth, all these different things. And so I got into it there. I learned a language I didn't speak. I quickly realized um, that as a guy who was working for Associated Press at the time as my main gig and frankly just freelancing like crazy hockey news um, stringing for SI like if, if you had a if you had an assignment for me I would take it I was 
I'm not sure if this is a family show, but I was a media whore. So um, when Ian asked me to work for him, I was like, hey, another gig. And also I learned that, that there's this whole world, this whole language of goaltending that nobody on my side was, was bothering to try and speak, frankly. And, you know, like, uh, you know, back then, especially, and it's increasingly now more people understand goaltending, but back then it was good goal, bad goal. Um, no real understanding of what these guys were trying to do. Like, why did it go in? Why did he play it that way? What, you know, I mean, reverse, reverse VH didn't even exist. VH was just starting at the time, right? Like, so post-integration. So I started learning. I started speaking the language, which opened up a whole new world of conversations with goalies. Guys that would just give pat answers to regular media would sit down and have a conversation if you spoke their language. And sometimes it didn't matter what the language. I'll never forget uh, the PR guy when Sergei Bobrovsky first came over, just like, hey, you can try, man, but he doesn't speak English. And the next thing you know, like, I'm on my knees with him in the locker room, and we've got broken English, and we're basically speaking the language of goaltender, using a lot of sort of gestures to bridge that gap, like what he means um, by his stance, by by holding his hands up and things like that. So uh, it really, um, it changed my world from a uh, media perspective. And eventually it led me to wanting to play like, okay, I'm, I'm reading all this. I understand all this. I also had just had my first child. I'd like to call it a sympathy pregnancy. I put on 50 pounds. So play goal, actually do the things I'm writing about and talking about and learning about and drop a few LBs. Uh, I was essentially the fat kid they threw a net. So that's how it started mid two thousands. And here we are 15 years later, um, I, I am, I co-manage, I guess, slash help, help with, uh, um, own, uh, Ingle magazine. Um, it's my bread and butter. I have a column at NHL.com, uh, called unmasked with every week shirt when we're going regulars every two weeks here, sort of in this shortened season, um, and hits in like four different radio stations across the country weekly where I just come in and talk goaltending. So it's gone from, didn't even play it as a kid. You, it is my every I love it I, I was actually worried you know during the pandemic that I wouldn't be able to put as much into in goal as I had in the past because I would have lost my passion for it um and it comes from playing it but now I'm, I'm covering the games I'm watching these guys I'm just like, oh, I'm just jonesing to get back out there so it really does once you try it it really takes hold of your whole life and in my case quite literally that's awesome just the fat kid that put in that it's hilarious it's like Goldberg back there all right. So, yeah, you, pretty much. And, and then one thing I'll say that, you know, like Andre Vasilevsky had this story, too. He actually went into net originally because he felt like it was too much work to be a forward. His dad was a goalie. And he's like, I just want to stay in one spot. And he realized pretty quickly that the goalie has to work the hardest. So um, you, you may go in there these days, if, you know, if that old adage of fat kid in net, but you won't you won't stay that for long because it is a lot of work. Okay, so I'm in Columbus. You mentioned Ian Clark, who was obviously here for a long time, and Sergey Bobrovsky. I'm curious, uh, do you still have a, much of a relationship with Ian? And, like, I'll be honest, like, when he left Columbus right after Bobrovsky left as a UFA, I was thinking, like, this is, this is probably bad for the Blue Jackets, but I don't want to make it so much about them, but maybe just, like, your interactions with them to this day and uh, the impact that you think he had on – Obviously, you, like you said, two stints in Vancouver and the one in Columbus, he's been all over just your relationship with them. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Ian is uh, on the short list of guys who should one day, and this is a, probably a whole other conversation, why no goalie coaches are in the Hockey Hall of Fame is absurd. 
We'll get there. Um, the, the list should start with Alaire and Mitch Korn. Um, I don't think enough people realize that Ian's a name that should probably end up on that list too, right? Like the impact he had on Bob was significant. Uh, you look at the way Bob played in Philadelphia. I talked about the elbows, sort of his hands were up by his ears. His stance was low and locked and wide. And, wide. Um, and then you watch him in, in Columbus. You watch the change in the stance to in three stance system. You watch um, the post integration, the reverse tracking in the post integration. Um, they were a perfect fit because Bob was a workhorse, loved to work, just grind, and in expects nothing less from his goaltenders. We've seen it here with Jacob Markstrom and now with Thatcher Demko. Um, so, yeah, I think he did have a big impact on Sergei Bobrovsky. And uh, as far as the relationship goes, it, uh, it's been a good one. Um, you know, uh, even though his old magazine eventually went under um, and 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 left me hanging a little bit, never burnt the bridge with him, uh, was never personal, that was business, and still have a good relationship. Just watched him put uh, Mikey DiPietro through two hours of work at the rink this morning with a little Braden Holpe and Thatcher Demko all mixed in. So still trying to learn as much as I can from him, um, whether it's the goalie news or um, from the crease, the volume he created before then. That's why I, when I talk about the Hall of Fame in a builder category, um, you know, Ian has produced like just copious amounts of material on the position. Uh, there are a lot of modern elements in goaltending that, that have gone through him or come from him. Uh, not a lot of people realize after the, the first stint in Vancouver, he was out of the NHL for a little while, went to Sweden, worked with Marcus Naslin and Moto. And so then if you remember a few years ago, there's a lot of talk about Swedish goaltending and the rise of Swedish goaltending. And, and they had this manual. Um, that they produced that the Russians eventually bought and translated and used in terms of this goaltending manual. And I tell you a quick story, hockey Canada sent a bunch of guys over there to learn from the Swedes and the Swedish uh, Federation uh, goalie director, Thomas Magnuson asked them like, this is great. Like we're happy to have you, but why don't you just ask Ian Clark? Um, He used to work for you and a lot of their manual. Matter of fact, some of the manual, the Swedish goaltending manual contains uh, illustrations that were a part of that goalie news magazine from Ian Clark that I used to edit. So his impact, I, I don't think Joe public knows how deep that impact runs. Um, he's a real teacher. He's been a big part of whether it's long ago, early um, Bob, uh, Jacob Markstrom. And, and he's not the only one, like, listen, that's the thing, right? Like other guys played roles in those guys development. And above all, those guys did the work themselves, but Ian's played a big role in, in a lot of those goaltenders. Um, even a Curtis McElhenney, right? Like his career was almost done. He goes to Columbus and he'll tell you that it was the work within that sort of, he thought he was at the end and he, he learned some things that he hadn't been taught before that he believes became a staple for a career that continues today and now has his name engraved on the Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, he's a hard ass. Not everybody loves him. You can find a lot of goaltenders that not so much, um, but a lot of guys on the, on that other side of the spectrum as well. Yeah, him and Corn. It's amazing what they've done. Just those two guys alone, um, and, and taking careers that seems to be on a path of just being average and making them Hall of Fame type players, or just absolutely the elite of the elite. So, um, you, you said something in there about reverse tracking. So, can you break that one down for us? What is reverse tracking? Why well, it's his. Um, you've seen it, you guys. If you've seen, if you watched a lot of Bob, you would have seen it when the play goes behind the net. So down the wing, behind the net, and out the other side, whether it's a pop pass into the middle or, or all the way back out into the point. Um, essentially, if you'll recall, or if the play stops behind the net and the guy like sets up back there and you'll go one way or the other, 
you guys will remember Bob having one skate on each post and sort of, you know, the, the pads flat along the ice, like just basically as, as opposed to reverse VH on one side and then you transfer to the other side and back and forth and back and forth, you just sit in the middle. Like there's a very, the system for how you enter into that post as that play moves down the wing, how you transition into that middle with a skate on each post, which a, a lot of other goalie coaches will call a double seal. That seems to be a phrase I'm hearing a lot more now. And then how you exit off those posts. That's what in calls reverse tracking. That's just the phrasing he uses for that. But uh, to be honest with you, I'm not hundred percent sure if he's the first to sort of integrate it that way. For sure. Bob was the first one that caught my eye. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is. I mean, you watch Jacob Markstrom now when he does it from Vancouver, now in Calgary, you watch Thatcher Demko. And now I'm watching Braden Holtby learn it for the first time because he was a not a bigger guy, one post or the other. And now he's getting into that point where, you know, he can make that move coming down the wing, transition into that behind the net, sit in if he needs to. It's a really safe spot. It puts you in the middle of the net. You don't have to commit from one side to the other. You're not going to get lost turning your head because, that's why I ask goalies hate plays behind the net, right? We always have to turn our head and either give up the ability to sort of watch where everyone is in front of us, or when it goes from side to side, every time we turn our head, we're, we're losing sight of the puck, and we hate losing sight of the puck, right? So it's a great play as an offensive player to attack from low high. Uh, this is a system that helps sort of mitigate the panic if executed properly on the goaltender side of things. All right, let's just attack the elephant in the room, the Hall of Fame. Why is no goalie coach in the Hall of Fame yet? Probably because I don't think anybody started asking the question, um, you know, frankly, until we did. Uh, when, when Frankie Allaire first retired, I want to say that's probably four years ago now, just kind of officially called it quits from the Colorado Avalanche. It was done. And obviously he's back as a consultant um, with the Panthers right now. But it just seemed like a perfect time to start that conversation. The truth is you don't need to retire to be a builder in the hall of fame, right? Jim Rutherford went in recently. Ken Holland went in. They're both still working in the national hockey league. Right? It shouldn't have taken a lair to retire at the time to spark the conversation, but we felt it was the perfect time to bring it up. Um, you know, when you talk about builder, that's not just building teams. Francois Lair built out the position of goaltending coach for the National Hockey League. Yes, a lot of the talk will be about the butterfly and the modernizing of the game in terms of uh, Patrick Wan, his use of the butterfly. Uh, but, but it's so much more than that. It's, you know, to that point, there, have been, there were goalie coaches before Francois Lair, um, you know, but him and Warren Strelo, that's another name that gets missed a lot, Warren Strelo and San Jose around the same time, those two uh, were the first that didn't play the position at a really high level to sort of get in as a goalie coach. Up to that point, it was all been there, done that, guys. You know, um, guys who had careers, Jacques Plante as a goalie coach after he retired. There, there wasn't that technical application um, until Allaire and, and, and Strelo. And you talk to a guy like Mitch Korn, and one of the things when we wrote that first article is Mitch gave me a quote saying basically, like, he opened that door, that it was okay to hire a guy like me who didn't play, you know, at the highest level. And now you look around the league and it's, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe it's at least two thirds of National Hockey League goalie coaches didn't play in the National Hockey League. So um, that's a big door for, that Allaire opened. Equipment. And hey, um, like, honestly, there's probably a few things in there that the NHL wish they'd, uh, they'd close that barn door a little earlier. But once, you know, the horse got out of the barn with Allaire and it was, none of it was illegal. 
he just found those lines, but pads that rotated properly and sealed the ice so that the butterfly, you know, Mitch used to tell me that they used to have to, an actual thing they looked for in goaltenders before these new pads was contortability, the ability to sort of twist and rotate your body to get those pads flat on the ice. Well, you know, Lair was part of, you know, working with uh, the Lefebvre's and CCM and Reebok and Coho, building a pad that did that. Um, so th- just so many things. And he even tried to fix the NHL's goal scoring problem. I don't know if you guys remember this in the 0405 lockout. We talked with them about this on the podcast, the in-goal podcast recently. Um, he actually produced a prototype of a net because uh, I think it was the year that, that they won the Cup of the Ducks. He, he, was, he was thinking to himself, man, all that pucks off the post, like, you know, if the NHL wants more goals, like we had so many posts. What if it was posted in instead of posted out? And he built a net where yeah. two thirds of the posts would have funneled the puck into the net in, instead of instead of just like it would have changed the proportion of the amount of pucks that hit the net. Two thirds would have gone in as opposed to uh, one third, essentially. And again, like there's he's trying to fix the goal scoring without changing the the proportions of the net, right? Because remember the league was like we're gonna have to make the nets bigger. Well how many tens of thousands of reps would a goalie have to go through to, to erase the hundreds of thousands of reps they've gone through that let them know that when I'm here, the net is covered. Like it just would have changed the parameters. You would have created a ton of bad goals for a long time. If you did that, he tried to find a way to give them more goals without changing those parameters for everybody that played the position. And unfortunately they just ignored it. I frankly, I don't know why, but there's just a lot of things that he did. And then the impact in Quebec. Um, look at the rise of Quebec butterfly goalies uh, coming from from Allaire and from Waugh. Like to me, you just add all those things together, and they should be in the Hall of Fame. The answer why nobody's asked the question. We asked the question first. I've actually managed, and you know, there's some secrecy with the Hall of Fame. I've actually managed to ask the question to a couple of members, and they hadn't ever considered it when I asked two years ago. Never considered a goalie coach, in part because a goalie coach is just an assistant coach in their mind, and we would never put an assistant coach in the Hall of Fame. And the argument is, well, if you think that a goalie coach that had this type of impact, the counter argument is just an assistant coach then you need to rethink things. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. There's a little bit of a reflection of the mindset towards goalie coaching. Um, You hear a lot of lip service about it being the most important position. Um, But goalie coaches on average make less than half of an assistant coach that's on the bench, uh, usually running the D or running the forwards. Yet they're in the power play meeting. They're in the PK meeting. They got to break down the other goaltender. They got to help with the shootout pre-scout to help you with your offense. You know, the Washington Capitals won a Stanley Cup. Their goalie coach at the time, Scott Murray, helped them change the way they attacked based on data and analysis of what led to goals, how to beat goaltenders. This is how, these are the shots we need to pass up and these are the ones we need to take. Like goalie coaches, the good ones can be invaluable. And yet still across the board, they're paid less than half of, of most assistant coaches in the NHL. And I think that mindset uh, creates a disposable position. Uh, and, and I think that just goes right up to the Hall of Fame. The people making the decisions on who gets in are coming from that era where they didn't have this impact. And, and you know, it's just sort of that, I don't say put your thumb on them type of thing, but the things you don't understand, right? Like this is a tough spot for general managers. A lot of them got to hire goalie coaches that have can have a massive impact on the most important position. And how do you hire a guy to do a job you really don't know anything about? So, that, you know, the things you don't know, sometimes you can be scared of. And I think there's a lot of that, uh, maybe not necessarily directly in the Hall of Fame decision, 
but I think it spills through a lot of how the, the, the position of goalie coach is thought of and spills into the Hall of Fame decision. Yeah. I think you're right about lip service at the NHL level. Like every, it didn't, it wasn't that long ago that uh, some teams didn't even have a, a quote unquote like goalie coach, like a direct goalie coach. Now I, I think everyone does. And uh, I mean, Heck, we even have departments now. Right. right. Well, I was just going to go there. Like Florida has like this little like consulting group. Um, so I'm thinking from like a development coach standpoint, has there been any talk that you're aware of, of, like a development coach who oversees just goalies? Does that exist? And if not, why? Yeah, no, most, most teams have their American Hockey League coaches in AHL slash development role, right? So um, they'll, go to, they'll go and work with the WHL draft picks if they've got them, yep. do a little scouting. What about Europe? East Coast League. Um, I do know some that go to Europe in the summers. Yeah. And I do know a few that have snuck over during the season to work with guys. They've got a prospect that they've picked. Certainly a lot of Zoom calls. I remember Ian Clark, um, you know, Elvis Merzlikens, uh, yeah, in, in Switzerland. And, and Michael Lawrence is a Canadian uh, goalie coach who worked with him in Lugano. And I remember Michael telling me that, you know, Ian would stop in in, in Swiss on his way back from Russia and seeing Bob in the summers and stuff like that. So, you know, sometimes it's one guy like Ian doing everything. Um, you know, increasingly we're seeing teams add scouts that can hit different areas, um, making the development role development only and not making it something you have to do as well as managing, you know, your own team in the American League and popping in on the ECHL guys. Um, you're starting to see a broadening of those departments and certainly a recognition uh, that development is an important part of that. Uh, I know Florida gets a lot of the headlines for it and, and certainly um, that's a part of it, making sure the message is the same from start to finish within the organization. The amount of goalies I, I see that come in in the AHL and then they get to the NHL and they're asked to do something different by a different goalie coaches. You know, it shouldn't be that way, but it is still. Um, but also the Arizona Coyotes took a big move even, you know, a couple months before. I think three months before um, Florida announced it, they hired Brian DeCord, who runs Stop at Goaltending out of Boston, which is a massive uh, private, you know, goaltending organization with uh, – you know, research groups, they've got um, all kinds of different coaching groups. And so Decord brings all this knowledge. He was the, he was the first full-time goalie scout in the NHL with the Maple Leafs, brings all this knowledge, but he also brings access to all these other people that are part of his group. And what does that do? Ideas, new ideas. All in, a, in a constantly changing position, the last thing you can do is lock your NHL goalie coach in his own little bubble where he doesn't talk to people. The Devils did it for years under Lou Lamarillo. They just they they you weren't they weren't allowed to have conversations with guys like me. Well, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not the smartest guy, and you know, like, and I, I you know, but I have conversations with all these different people, and the ideas sometimes flow back and forth. So if your if your goalie coach isn't allowed to talk to me at all, who's to say he's not missing out on an idea, right? Not that I'm the one coming up with it, but you know, those are just sort of you can really. You can get stuck in a bubble pretty easy and in a position that constantly changes. That's why I love the Decord hire for Arizona. And I just, you know, even, even uh, Jordan Sigalet told us after they expanded in Calgary, their department with Jason LaBarbera coming in, like he talked about the importance of, of Barb's having someone to talk to. Like you can get so isolated in that job and have nobody to bounce things off of, but now Siggy's going to be that for Jason LaBarbera and, and Thomas Spear, their development guy, and think he's going to be freed up to look more at the draft and look more at development and make those trips to Europe. And so I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. 
I will throw in the caveat. I don't know what any of those guys are making, but my bet is they're expanding departments and not what they're all getting paid. So I would be surprised if you've got entire departments making what one assistant coach makes. So I will continue to bang that drum, much like the Hall of Fame drum, until uh, we get a little equity. I'm like the goalie union, goalie coach union. Maybe I should look for an official title, a card that comes <laughs> separate from my goalie union card. That's funny. Um Okay, I want to go quickly back to Corn versus Clark. Not that they're you know pitted against each other, but I, you had me thinking about how um, they were both super influential, but in kind of different ways. Like Mitch, Mitch, um, in the public sphere at least, you know, he's got these international goalie camps. Like he's got camps with kids. He works all the way up to the NHL. Whereas Ian was more like uh, like he he kind of got his his word out uh, like written right. Um, yep. I don't want to like, you don't have to like pick a favorite, but like, how would you compare and contrast the ways that they were able to influence like the masses through their different mediums? It's a good question, actually. Um, what you probably don't realize is, is up until the goalie magazine went away, um, Ian actually ran GDI, the Goaltending Development Institute, and they were in the process. There are still some GDI schools around in North America. They're no longer affiliated under one umbrella. But they weren't just goalie schools. They were building like goalie development centers all over the place. And what happened to the business was they decided to get in the equipment side of things. And the goaltending equipment world is a tough one to survive it. And that led to the collapse of everything else around it. But there was a lot of schools and goalie schools that Ian Clark was involved in um, as well. So, uh, he, you know, he had that similar type of thing. And, and the thing about Mitch is, and I've had this conversation with him in the past, obviously now that he works for Lou, he's not supposed to talk to us anymore, but you know, before he went to the Island and into the, the Lou Lamarillo cone of silence, we used to talk about, I used to ask him like, man, like the grind of the season, I see what these guys go through. And then you're going to get and like, he, like he does these camps all over the place. Like he's traveling in a camper kind of thing. And I'm like, why, like, why are you doing that? Right. It's not for the money. And he could charge a lot more for his camps than he does. Okay, for sure. um, but he does it because just what I talked about, he invites young coaches, uh, he mentors them, but he gets something in return from the young kids and the young coaches. You know, they're out there while he's stuck in the NHL bubble from October till March and hopefully longer every year. Um, they're out there playing. If there's new ideas, they're seeing them. They bring these things. He sees new things through them, through young goalies, through young goalie coaches. There's a mutual benefit to it. Um, and that's why he's continued that. I don't know that I can compare the impact. Um, you know, Inns, Inns, quietly, I don't think a lot of people realize how involved he is with some of the things in Russia. Um, some coaches he works with over there. Uh, Mitch, we call them the children of the corn. I mean, look around the league, the number of people that are – NHL goalie coaches now that, that were part of that group that mentored under him, that worked with him, that got a first opportunity perhaps because of uh, a coach calling him and asking, um, you know, for, you know, who's the next Mitch Korn? Uh, Steve Briere with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mike Bales, uh, two cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins, now with the uh, Buffalo Sabres after a stint in Carolina, uh, Mike Valley, uh, who Mitch first hired when he was in Nashville. Uh, I'm missing, like, there's probably 10 more, right? Like, that's it's it's a it's a very real thing i should probably pull up a list i feel like i feel bad i don't have a list in front of me of all the people that mitch has worked with but like there's like six degrees of mitch corn you go throughout the league and um he's impacted so many guys that are working at the highest level now ian's got something that people don't know about as well but like mitch is just like that that's the impact there and truth be told 
now that Francois is back in the game in Florida, like he was the poster child for first guy in the Hall of Fame um, because he retired. But the reality now is you, you don't need that to be in. And I think you could make an equally strong case for Mitch. He's got the cup now too. Uh, we talk about goalie departments and the trend towards goalie departments and all these teams that have hired, um, you know, that created them, hired directors and created departments underneath them. Well, who is the first one? I mean, at least in the way we're seeing them now is Mitch Korn with the Washington Capitals in 27-18, right? They won a cup that year. I'm actually a little surprised more teams didn't copy it sooner, given that the first team to do it won a Stanley freaking cup in the first year, and the New Jersey Devils promptly hired him, or the Islanders, pardon me, the New York Islanders promptly hired him away to do the same role with the Islands. So, I mean, to me, that's building, right? Like, if you look at Mitch's legacy, all the people he's impacted in all corners of the game, whether it's goalies or goalie coaches, um, you know, the teaching, uh, the medicine ball, you know, first published the article, the goalies doing the drill with the medicine ball, first published it with us uh, at Ingle Magazine. And there was some hesitation there because he said, every time I share something like that with you guys, I have to, now that's my advantage gone, I have to come up with something new. Now, he had been in Nashville and I said, listen, now you're going to Washington. It's not going to be a secret long anyways. People actually don't practice there. So you might as well take some credit here. Um, but those little things, the white pucks and the tricks and things like that, um, like those are all things that, that, that come from him. And so again, builder. So Allaire, Benoit Allaire with the Rangers, Francois Allaire, Mitch Korn. Like the problem is, as I list this, if the Hall of Fame voting member was listening, they'd be like, oh, he's just going to keep going. We're going to have goalies every year, goalie coaches. But I do think the guys that, that, that are at that top tier, Francois, Mitch, and, 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 um, and Ian as well, like, like they need to be in that conversation. And my starting point is, is it was Francois. He might have to switch to Mitch um, now that Francois is back in the game. They both need to be pushed because they both fit that builder category so well. For sure. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Mitch. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but when I was a teenager, I was a shooter at his camp in Cincinnati for years, and it blew my mind. Like like you said, the things that he does on the ice with these kids, it it's definitely unorthodox, or at least it was uh, sort of in like early 2000s. But, yeah, definitely good memories with Mitch. Um, well, well, Mitch is to- an Ohio guy too at this point. That's right. he's, I think he's still technically employed, maybe not with Miami University. No, Somehow. not anymore, but – yeah, no, I don't know that he's technically employed there anymore, but the impact he had there, because Crazy. that was like on, a, on, on, like, a, on like, a, like a recreation sports admin side too, right? Like the, mm-hmm. And so there's people that like run ranks and are ADs and like all these other jobs that have ties to Mitch that he impacted as a mentor, even outside of the goaltending world. Right. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And Coach Katie had a, a large influence there too. I feel like those two put together in a room. If you're not, you you could work 80 hours a week, and if you put your feet up for two minutes, uh, they're, they're going to somehow figure it out. Those guys are insane. But uh, I, I love with where you've been talking about with a lot of these trend setters. I'm curious, maybe what are some trends that we're currently going through, and, and where we're going to be going with that? And if you want to get technical, I'm all about that. Well, I mean, technical post-play continues to be such a big part of it. And I know a lot of people, it's funny, Billy Ranford, we had this conversation this summer. Um, and there's a guy who took advantage of the pause, like was on every webinar, he even came on. We had some webinars on, on equipment uh, at Ingle. And he actually came on our webinars to listen because he was trying to stay up to date on, on equipment and some of the new trends in equipment that can actually impact because it impacts performance, right? Like, cause, you know, not everybody has to be like Ichiro and like the humidor for his bats type thing, but 
but you need to have a knowledge of how your how your tools work if you're going to do this job effectively. And uh, but one of the things he said is I think goalies like to work on the post play a lot in practice because it's easy saves for them. Uh, and it, I thought that was a good point. And he's actually backed off. Um, Jonathan Bernier talked about this too. Uh, once he has it dialed, he backs off of it because it, it's a lot of wear and tear. It's really tough. RVH is tough on the hips, right? So there's that side of it. But I think post-play uh, options, post-integration options are something that is sort of constantly, we're always looking for ways to improve it because it's such a tough play for goalies. Um, I have access to ClearSight Analytics uh, by another ex-NHL goaltender, Stephen Balakat. I get a look under the hood at some of the numbers and one of the trends when we were looking back over the past few seasons. Uh, you, you've probably heard of railroad or slot line passes and, and plays that go passes or carries across the slot line, which is like a, you used to call it railroad, calls a slot line now, basically an imaginary line that divides the offensive zone from the goal line to the top of the circle. Uh, the likelihood of scoring on a quick play and shot or pass and shot across the slot line that your percentages go up like crazy. And instinctively as a goaltender, of course they do, because I have to shift from one side to the other, do a complete 180 turn to go from one side to the other and get their set and square. Um, but one of the biggest ones was slot line plays and attacks from dead angle. That's the, one of the biggest increases in offensive generators of the past two seasons. And it's not just that those plays from dead angles create, it's not that every one of them's getting through six legs to the backdoor tap in. It's that they're creating chaos uh, in front of the net when pucks hit sticks and skates and bounce around um, from sharp angle plays and sharp angle attacks out of the corner or across that slot line. Um, so, so anytime you see the teams are trying to score that way increasingly, or are, if, if, if it's just because they are scoring more, you know, eventually teams are going to recognize that and attack more from that area. And so we're always looking for ways to play that better. We talk about reverse tracking within, um, you know, I see a lot, get a lot of guys going overlap. And now how do I get to an overlap where I'm outside of the post and my skates outside of the post and I'm playing it straight up butterfly, but how do I get quickly from that into you know, into RVH when the play goes behind the net. Transitions in and out of the post are, are massive. So that's, you know, technically that's that. I think tracking, um, proper tracking, and the the ultimate efficiency of movement has been something we've seen over the past couple of years. I work with a consultant uh, named Lyle Mast, who was sort of at the forefront of this. And a lot of people thought that, oh, head trajectory and tracking is just about optimizing vision of the puck coming at you off a release. And there's an element to that but it's actually biomechanics of movement, like how I move my head before I do a T-push directly through um, vestibular function and balance dictates whether my body opens before I move. And if I open to move, I have to close back down when I get there. And you can see on videos, the one thing I've learned, video does not lie. If I'm opening to move and then I move and then I get there and then I got to catch the back leg up, and then I got a square and then I got a set. Those are all delays. And if we track down through that path and generate a top down, so it's almost like a new sequencing of movement on something as simple as a T-push, that top down movement where it's head and the shoulders come and we're not, we're not going body first, we're going head and eyes first, but in a way that creates proper rotation early, I actually move to my spot and arrive set and square. And to a layman, the other one actually looks quicker because there's a lot of moving parts. But when you start to break it down frame by frame and recognize the difference in the efficiency of one compared to the other, 
Uh, and the one that looks busy is actually not actually gaining you angle or squareness or any of that. The other one gets you there with all those elements built in. Those are the little efficiencies that I think more and more goalie coaches in the last couple of years have recognized. And so whereas three, four years ago, all I could see after learning it was all the inefficiencies. It's a lot less common now. There's a lot less opening and closing into movement. There's a lot less delays to set. And that's just, you know, it's that half second, right? Because it's all, that's the other trend this summer. Everyone talks about, it's all about being set and square, set and square, set and square. Um, well, how we can get set and square after a Royal Road Pass? How do we get more efficient at making sure when we do have to change our angle on a lateral play, we do so in a way that gets us there as fast, as set, and as square as possible these are the trends we're looking for. We're looking for a couple percentage points here, guys. Now, right? Because that's that's the difference at the highest level. Um, so those are the yeah. Those are the two I would say in terms of on the ice technically. Beyond that, oh man, like there's no limit, right? We got Sense Arena virtual reality training for goaltenders. I got Jeremy Swayman who just won. You know, Boston Bruins prospect just won a. Uh, Hobie, or it's not the Hobie Baker story. He was a finalist, but he just won the Mike Richter as the top NCAA goalie. Biggest thing for him that year, bar ballet. They had a class at the University of Maine. He took it. Couldn't believe dorsiflexion, which is something, your flexion through your ankles. Uh, dorsiflexion is a term we'd heard a lot from goalie-specific off-ice trainers. It improved his dorsiflexion, his balance, his body control. Um, Alfie Michaud, the goalie coach, ex-NHL uh, goalie coach at University of Maine, couldn't believe it. Now all his goalies have to take that class. So whether it's virtual reality, playing goal in a headset in your living room, or doing ballet classes, um, there's always new ways to get better at goaltending. That's what I love about this. There's no one right way ever either. There are no absolutes in this position. You can never say that's right, that's wrong. There's It's different for every guy. It's a sliding scale between... I always look at it as a sliding scale between technique and skill. And every goalie has a, a different point on that scale where they're at their best. And I can't tell them, right? John Gibson at times looks like he's all over the place. But but Sudarshan Maharaj, the goalie coach there, recognizes how good the skill is. And all these goalie coaches all over the place say, oh, like, man, I wish he was better technically. And when he's off, yeah, that argument is there. But Sudzi knows that if he does put too much technique into him, he's going to lose all that skill. And when, he, when, when that skill is shined through, and it does more often than not, he's one of the best goalies in the world. Again, sliding scale and no one right way to do it. Nobody can say, John Gibson needs to do this, he'll be better. Um, because I happen to be with, with uh, his goalie coach on this one, is the fear of losing what makes him John Gibson is very real if you put too much of that other stuff into his game. It's... Uh, it's what makes this so great, man. There's there's just so many different ways to play this position, and nobody can say one's right and one's wrong. Just look in the Nashville crease. You've got Pecorino and UC Saros. I mean, two completely different goaltenders. So I'm with well, you on and, that one. And, and, and Saros, who gets pegged for the size, and, and Peck is like – I remember talking to – you're Pekka won the Vesna. Where everybody's asking UC, what he's what – he, you know, he's a young goalie coming to the league. What are you learning from Pekka? And Pekka's telling me it's what I'm learning from UC. Like – He's, he's so much smaller than me and he has to move less like, and he doesn't get beat. So why am I two feet out of my crease at my size when he can play on the edge of his crease at his size? And so it was the other way around, right? Like Pekka quieted his game by watching a smaller goaltender. So again, a lot of the myths about small goalies got to be more aggressive, more active here. You got a guy who wins a Vesna trophy because he became less active and less aggressive by watching a smaller goaltender. 
UC Saros is my favorite, so I, I got to give him a shout at all times. I feel like it's just so efficient. And I think he's. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I'm not the goalie guy that you are, but it seems like his hockey IQ, his goalie IQ, is just off the radar. Uh, I'm curious uh, for you, what, what's goalie goalie IQ? Well, I mean, I don't want to turn this into like the just credit Mitch Corn for everything um, podcast, but I got to credit Mitch Corn for this one because I and I'm going to butcher it. I always screw this saying up, but he, beer pong is a game of shots. Goalie is a game of patterns. I hope I got that right because it's Mitch, like 100% Mitch oh, who told awesome. me that, and, he, and he, he said it many different times. Yeah. Goalie IQ is about recognizing those patterns. It's why, you know, I watched Mikey DiPietro spend two hours with Ian Clark here this, this morning and do all the technical and all the movement and all these things, and there's no question he benefits from that time as the number three goalie for the Canucks this year. Like as their taxi squad guy, he's going to get that time. But at the same time, Ian himself will tell you he really needs to be playing somewhere in the American Hockey League because what he can't get from Ian is the full speed experience of putting those patterns together. And that's, to me, what goalie IQ, the ability to recognize and read. At Ingle Magazine, we have... um, uh, in our premier uh, subscription, we do a weekly thing that we call pro reads. We're about 13 and a half months into it. So there's about like there's 54, uh, no, like almost 60 now pro reads that are live. And it's a live video review session with goaltenders where I take clips. It used to be, I took them into the locker room, unfortunately, because of COVID it's all over zoom now and it's getting a little tougher guys. I'll be honest, but we've managed to keep it going. Um, where, where goalies will look at video of them making saves, play moving around the zone, talking to us about, you know, why they chose a certain save technique at a certain time, um, why they were aggressive in one instance uh, atop their crease, more passive and deeper on the other, why they looked over a screen in the middle on one play and why they looked over it on the short side. And the amount of information that they process in real time, even as a guy who covered the league for 15 years, the first time I did one of these with Carey Price and Frederick Anderson, they were our first two guests for this, absolutely blew me away at the amount of information they were picking up. It wasn't just who's a left-handed shot, and who's a right-handed shot, knowing where the defenseman was going, um, you know, anticipating all these different elements to make a split second decision on whether they push or don't, whether they slide across on their knees or beat a play on their skate. That's goalie IQ. And it comes with experience. And it's, it, these are all patterns, including your own defenseman. And part of it is learned. Hey, this is our system. He's got this. I've got that. Um, part of it is experience. This guy loves to shoot to this spot or this guy is always going to look to pass. Uh, and part of it is just plain old smarts and all those things rolled in, the ability to process instantly. And I don't think if, if, if you don't have it at a very high level, I don't think you can play in this league. And it has just absolutely floored me every time one of these guys walks us through these things. Carter Hart might be the best because Carter's not afraid to tell you what he did wrong. Very self-critical. And so I'm watching what I consider to be absolute brilliance. And he's like, ah, you know, like let's counter rotation, man. I, I came off that puck, and we were talking about before about the sequencing. I came off that puck, and now instead of my body moving into it because of the way I move my head, my arms are flailing behind me as I move rather than out in front of me, so I'm late. Like, 
just that type of detail and the ability to process it and then see it that's that's goalie iq it's why i don't have it and that's why i'm playing beer league and they're playing in the best world the league in the world amen and actually uh funny enough in our i think third ever we, we talked about like rvh for the common man and we had that exact quote so i i got it beer pong is a game of shots quarters is a game of shots playing goal is not a game of shots it's a game of situations and every situation you have to figure out there you go i you got, got the gist. situations patterns you, yeah. you got it better than me but i hopefully i caught this I got the spirit of the thing. That's right, right you did. It is. That's what that's what matters. And I've, I would definitely recommend anyone to uh, check out In Goal Magazine's Pro Reads. I mean, e- even the one-year subscription is worth it for just one of those reads. It's unbelievable. I mean, you guys are so yeah, cheap. It's like, what, 60 bucks, 50 bucks a year? It's 50 bucks a year, and it's Canadian. So if you're on the other side of the border in America, that's like practically free. It's free. Like free a, it's, it's the, it's the best goalie less lesson you'll get. a week. That's the best is less than a dollar a week Canadian and American. Like, like we practically give it to you. All right. Last one here. It's almost too bad. Like this, we've flown through. I've got like a laundry list of questions that we're just not going to get to. Cause I want to be respectful of your time, but uh, I'll just have to come back guys. That's all. I guess so. Part two. T- 10 out Part of 10. We, we agree. Seriously. You mentioned the taxi squad earlier and uh, I'd be remiss. I, I mentioned it before we started that uh, a good friend of ours, Josh Howell, who's kind of our goalie contributor to our newsletter. Uh, he pulled one of your tweets from earlier uh, a little while ago. It was about how Jacob Markstrom participated in a, a goalie session and not the Flames' main practice. And you said, quote, more teams using already, are already using extra goalie to let their number one focus on work that matters and avoid a lot of the team drills that do little and, in fact, can become a negative for goalies. So uh, I'll, I guess I want to ask about at the NHL level and even at the youth level, like what, what do you think the best practices are for goalies to kind of make sure that they're getting the most out of every practice? Uh, I, I don't want to ask you like six questions at once, but like, do you see this being a trend post COVID? Like I just, I think that's a great question and there's a lot of ways you can go. So I'll, I'll stop talking now and listen to you. Well, yeah, I mean, what you could do is you could Google my, my column at NHL.com is called unmasked. And if you Google unmask my name and practice goalie, you're probably going to come up with about three or four different columns that I've written over the years about the concept of using a practice goalie, which is essentially what the taxi squad goalie has the ability to become. Now, again, I should be careful here because there are no absolutes. Not everybody loves the idea of a practice goalie. Um, Braden Holtby hates it. He hates having a third guy out there. That's why Mikey DiPietro comes out and does his work before and after. Cause he just doesn't like, he just wants his net. He's a workhorse and you usually got to kick him off. Right. Like that's the way Braden is, but Devin Dubnik, and this is where I, I originally, the genesis of the concept of a practice goalie, when he went from Arizona to Minnesota that first year and played those 38 straight games in, which is a franchise record, including a whole bunch of back-to-backs. And everyone's like, Oh my God, like in an era of goalies playing less, how the hell is he doing this? Well, I'll tell you how he was doing it. They had three goalies. They had Nicholas Backstrom was still with the team on the roster, but not playing and had Darcy Kemper. So what Devin would do is he would come out and he would do his goalie practice with uh, the goalie coach um, at the time. And then he would maybe take part in a couple of rush drills just to get that feel for guys playing the rush, speed down the wing, letting shots go. And then he'd get off because he didn't need the rest. So, you know, what's a good goalie practice? I mean, there's a balance there. The work you do with your goalie coach that's position specific, trying to attack things that are, you know, you're working on or you need to improve in your game. That's probably the most beneficial. What's not good for a goalie 
is seeing 30 minutes of three on O rushes where the guy at the end of it decides he's going to hold on to a puck in the middle of the slot and then go clap bomb off your ear, right? Like there are in most NHL practices at least five to 10 minutes of guys taking shots over and over again that they will not ever, not once a single freaking time get in a game. Got fourth liners just teeing it up from the front tees. That is not good for a goalie. You eventually, it becomes like playing shinny in the summer. If you do it too often and too much, the only way to make some of the saves in that environment is to cheat. You cheat enough in practice, it'll creep into your game. So listen, I remember the first time I wrote this in like 2015, I, I was actually in trouble for a column. It was like, it happens. When you have a weekly column, you can run out of ideas, right? And so I always keep a bunch on the back burner ideas, things that I've, I've talked to goalies out over the years and throw it in there once in a while. Funny, they almost always, because they're things that I assume everyone knows. They always almost end up being the best columns. And this one was about how practice, NHL team practice, can actually be detrimental for goalies. And I got messages from goalies all over the league. Finally, somebody said it. I'm like, well, I just assumed because we all knew as goalies that everybody else knew too, right? Like, Guys teeing it up, and, and I think it's gotten better. For sure it's gotten better. Better communication, better respect for the goalie coach saying, listen, like, my guy doesn't need this for 20 minutes. Like, what are we doing here? Um, you know, and the flip side of this is goalies, you know, like to complain about those things. Sometimes you got to get in those drills that aren't realistic. you got to go outside the box. you got to battle. Whether it's to be a good teammate because your job's not there, that drill isn't for you. That drill's for them. As long as it's got some realism, like three on O's with teeing it up from that's not realistic unless it's overtime against the Canucks two years ago for Jacob Marsham or last <laughs> season. Um, yeah, famous, famous gift on that one. Um, so, like, it's gotten a lot better. And there are times that there's value in that for goal today. You can't just say, oh, this isn't realistic. I'm not trying. But sometimes when the drills are coming too fast, I've talked to goalies over the years at the NHL level, like, it's just, I barely, like, I don't get to follow up my rebound. Because by the time I make one save, the other guy's coming from another point blank range. And so as a goalie, you have to say, you know what? Next guy is shooting at an empty net because I'm playing this one out. Like you, sometimes you have to skip a rep. So, you know, that's not ideal for anyone. So I can't say what the best part is. Just be cognizant that sometimes the drills you do for forwards and defensemen really aren't good for your goaltender. Um, I, I am surprised we haven't seen more practice goaltenders. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes have an equipment guy, George uh, Alves. Uh, who comes in and, and will mop up practice and take a lot of that stuff for them so their number one can take a break. Uh, the Canucks have a, an athletic trainer, Dave Zarn, that does the same here, especially when Ryan Miller was here, older goaltender, took more There's time a guy off. named David Ayers, and he happens to be in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, so, they, they, so you're seeing that use. The difference between that and this year, this year we got NHL goalies, right, or AHL goalies as our number three, because the one part of the practice goalie equation that there's pushback on, Players don't want to shoot on the local beer leaguer. Players don't want to shoot on the Zamboni driver. They don't want to shoot on some guy who played college 10, 15 years ago. They want to shoot on an NHL goaltender. So you can get some pushback on the concept of a practice goalie unless you can get a guy who's really good. So I think we would have seen it more by now if not for that. Um, this year's the perfect example, and you're right. The Flames used it already. Uh, with with Markstrom, other teams have used it already. Other teams that have been able to keep three goalies on the NHL roster so far are using it a different way. 
before the Leafs lost Dell, remember they were keeping him on the NHL roster so they didn't have to put him on waivers. Well, they right. took advantage of that. They gave Freddie Anderson the night off because Jack Campbell was starting. Aaron Dell dressed as the backup. Freddie didn't have to go. Because backing up's not a night off. Right. You go through all your dynamic warm-up, all your eye exercises, all your hand warm-up. You do all your work. And then you sit there with the, not anxiety, but with the stress, I might have to go in anytime for three periods. So if you've got three goalies and your your number one's not playing and short of the guy who's the starter, like losing a limb during the game, your number one's not going in there. Why not give him the whole night off? And I'm ducks at it with John Gibson already early this season. Ryan Miller start. Anthony Stollers is the backup. So that'll be the other trend. Now that one's tougher to repeat long-term, uh, but that'll be the other trend you see this season. Does it continue beyond the season? I, I wish practice goalies would become a thing. Um, but if they're a certain level, like it's not good for an AHL goalie to just be working in practice. That's not good for anyone. Um, if they're a certain level in terms of retired or recently, you might have some pushback from the PA saying this should be a position that one of our members is, you know, and, and getting paid NHL money for. So there's all kinds of complications. But in terms of it making sense, hell yeah. I've been saying it for five years. And most of the guys I talk to agree. Not an everyday thing, but certainly, you know, rather than talking about how goalies can't play as much as they used to while ignoring a solution that would allow them, I think you'd see at least more examples of it being used. Right. Okay. I guess last one for real, if you were a youth coach or a minor coach, head coach, would you, uh, would you prefer to have a uh, practice goalie like full-time, part-time, none of the above? Mm, I am going to plead a little ignorance on this because I, I haven't, you know, like, I don't like to blow smoke and I've never coached minor hockey. Yeah, so I don't know what that practice situation looks like. Yeah. Um, I, my experience with minor hockey was very limited to some evaluations for a friend. I promptly quit because they really didn't want me there to evaluate and tell them <laughs> they just wanted, they wanted to hear that the guy who was in the AAA spot last year should be the guy in the AAA spot this year. And when that information didn't necessarily jive with what I said, it was just ignored. So I wasn't going to waste my time. Um, sure. I, so I got to be honest so- so, so better question here. I think we can really get into is uh, what, what are you working on for your own game? Um, I am working on the ability to drop into the butterfly and actually still be able to get up again 10 months since my last game. I'm a little worried that my 47 year old hips might not like 10 months off. Um, Peloton has kept me from a second bout of, you know, sympathy pregnancy. Um, there's not going to be 50 pounds during the COVID. Uh, there has been a few. Peloton's managed to limit that, but uh, the only person, the only reason I have any faith that I'm actually going to be able to get back out there and play goal again is Maria Mountain, who does a lot of training uh, of goalies, Carter Hutton's trainer. Um, she coaches, she, she works with goalies off the ice all over internationally. She's been invited to speak in like Sweden and Finland. Like she's, she's legit. And a lot of her stuff is online based. Um, so I think it's her it's at goalie training is her, is her handle on uh uh, Twitter and Instagram. And if it wasn't for her programs, I would like jokes aside, I would have some real anxiety about whether my hips would have lost so much range of motion that I could get into a butterfly and have some width and, and move around like I'm used to. Thanks to her, I'm probably going to be able to play goal again without ending up on crutches. But to be honest with you guys, after 10 months without playing, like, terms of working on my game the closest thing i could say is that off the ice and sense arena well you got your mental reality reps. so you got your mental reps in 
I, I am. I am. I um. Yeah. It's it's not that I'm just bored of watching the Senators and the Canucks for a third straight game when my eyes close tonight at the rink. It's because <laughs> uh, it's because I'm I'm visualizing myself making the same saves as Brayden Holtby. That's right. That's we'll go with that one. Okay. Yep. Love it. Awesome. Well, Kevin, I think that uh, we just scratched the surface and there's a lot more to be had here. So I want to thank you for your time and jamming so much good information in such a little time. Um, as they tease me constantly about on the Ingle Radio podcast, I love to talk. Uh, it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's a thing. Um, so the fact you guys were willing to listen for this long, uh, I'll come back anytime. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal. Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand on hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, you, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.